Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Laura. And I'm Lisa. And our topic for today is the fuck boy. And I think we all recognize what fuck boy means in popular culture, which is someone who pursues sex without a lot of emotional attachment. But I think there's like a longer history to uh, the idea of the fuck boy, and there's a lot more content to what fuckboy means um, in different places and in a larger, from a larger perspective. And so I wonder, like, what you know about the origin of fuckboy or what it means? Yeah, so um, fuckboy is a term that really comes out of prison culture, and um, it was used to describe men who had sex for money in prisons and alternately was also used to describe prison rape. And um, it's also been used in the gay community to describe um, men or boys who are kept by richer men as sort of pets, as sexual pets. Um, And so there are these overlapping meanings about both consensual and certainly non-consensual sex among men that is about power and about institutionalized dominance that I think are a really important part of the context around fuckboy. A, because we're living in a moment where um, we're still sort of making jokes about prison rape, you know, especially in high-profile trials for um, for men who are convicted of violent crimes. And there is still a sense, I think, in the culture about male-on-male rape that it's, or it's still the most taboo form of sexualized violence. So, you know, I'm interested in talking about fuckboy because it's circulating in a bunch of different ways in popular culture. But it has this long history, I think, that is much more nefarious and about architectures of sexual violence that I think is worth parsing out as we talk through how it's circulating now. I wasn't aware of that history of the term. I mean, it came uh, into my knowledge when it became a popular insult, you know. The slang but, term, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I both like fuckboy as an insult and I dislike it as an insult. I like it because it's specific in a way that, like, calling someone an asshole or a douchebag isn't. Like, it's specific about why you're upset with someone. There is an ethical dimension to it, and it's about a particular style of behavior. Right, right. right. And so just calling someone an asshole, I don't. Like, why are they an asshole? Calling someone a fuckboy means there's some kind of sexual dimension to their behavior that's inappropriate or unacceptable to you. Um, I don't like it, though, because it disparages sexual promiscuity. It it doesn't address the real problem that people have with fuckboys, which is misogyny and aggressive masculinity. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of that is imbued with a lot of sexual promiscuity on the part of men, so... It's hard to kind of parse out like what's happening there, but but I don't like the frustrations about masculinity are glossed with frustrations about like sexual promiscuity. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like a lot of people 
like a quaint fuckboy with the insult slut. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's appropriate because I don't think there's an equivalence between like how people perceive sexual promis- promiscuity on the part of men and how people perceive sexual promiscuity on the part of women. But I also understand like that women want to give like men a taste of their own medicine by calling them fuck boys. You know, like they've been called sluts and that's been in po- popular parlance for a long time. And so in some ways like fuck boy is like a way for women to give men a taste of their own medicine. Not that I think <laughs> that's like anything that could move the conversation forward. Yeah. I don't think it's productive. But I understand the impulse. Yeah, I mean, you know, so Fuckboy started circulating in hip-hop um, at the turn of the millennium. It was Cameron had a song that it circulated in, and it sort of wove its way through hip-hop, mostly with male, black male artists who were using it to disparage other black male artists. And so there is, I think, an aspect of the way that Fuckboy circulates in popular culture when it's articulated by men as a way of creating verbal dominance over other men that very clearly is important for the context of Fuckboy as a term of both prison culture and prison violence, and then also as an architecture of gay masculinity and gay sex. But when it was taken up and started circulating online, you know, especially on Twitter and, you know, Thought Catalog and Medium and in the teen magazines um, about Tinder culture and online dating, I think that a lot of the important socio-historical dimensions of Fuckboy got lost and there was an attempt to try and weaponize it against men because of the way that the sexual culture is privileging male power and male sexual choice, right, over anybody else's, regardless of the kind of sex that men are having, but especially cis-hetero men. So I think there's a dimension to the, the way that it's been weaponized, you know, in dating culture against men that is a pushback to the entitlement and the dominance of dating culture for especially for 20 somethings yeah i mean i feel like it's also a result of the fact that women forever have been expected to and have been rewarded for complying with men's sexual expectations Mm -hmm. and this is like fuck boy is just like another iteration of how men have been like applying their sexual power (laughs) to like the current moment um so i don't know Here's the thing. I think men are now expected to be sexually promiscuous. And they expect the same from women. Like, there's a reward to it, but there's also a disadvantage. Like, there's a kind of social penalty. You know, Uh if you don't comply with what men ask from you sexually. But then if you comply too much, you're a slut. And so it's like a lose-lose situation yeah, <laughs> compulsory heterosexuality is definitely a lose-lose situation. 100%. Right. Yeah, I'm <laughs> not. Sure. I'm not blaming, and I'm especially not victim blaming, uh, women here. But like, this is like a contemporary iteration of patriarchy. You know, I don't see how there's any advantage 
to for women and like privileging men for being fuck boys. And I'm, I like that it's an insult in the way that it like takes away some p- sexual power from men. I do like that. Yeah. Although it's incomplete. Like I, there's, you have to parse what is the actual issue that you well, have. Well, you know, we talk about intimacy all the time and the studies show, especially about online dating that, um, you know, men have a hard time settling into any kind of relationality because there's just a plethora of choices. They can always swipe again and swipe and swipe and swipe and swipe. And so they can go on a million first, second dates and then never talk to that person again. Mm -hmm. And there's always somebody else, always somebody else. So there's this endless supply. It's a surplus of female sexual labor in a bunch of forms, whether it's flirting or fucking, there's a a tremendous amount of excess of labor, surplus labor that's being re- I don't know, redeployed entirely for the benefit of men. Women don't use online dating the same way. So there's already an inherent problem with the way that that labor is being absorbed and exploited within like this surplus moment where it's a surplus of women. And so I guess I'm thinking about, you know, the way that that is emerging at the same time as this sort of Me Too moment where there's a huge conversation happening about sexual consent. Obviously, in in an earlier episode this season, we talk at length about sexual consent. I obviously articulate (laughs) my problems with consent there. But, you know, it just seems to me that in a moment where women are not controlling the platforms for online dating, they're not designing the algorithms, they're not participating in any of the beta testing, that the entire architecture of online dating presupposes a heterosexual male consumer and a heterosexual female object and that there is no possibility for consent within that rubric within the architecture of those dating applications because the outcome is already predetermined by the methods of power that set up all of the structures of dominance in the culture that start with the prison but also with the nation and the family and you know all of these building blocks of uh, the structural building blocks of public culture so even though there is this consent conversation happening about sexual consent and about negotiating s- sexual practice it is, it's so far away from the architecture of how people are meeting and dating and fucking that it's like happening in a completely different sphere, almost as like a philosophical inquiry, you know, at a level that has no discursive or real material impact, you know, because it's not actually interfacing with the architecture that's structuring interpersonal relationships. Right. I guess the problem with fuckboy to me, is that it totally channels all of the frustration about that broad spectrum of, like, the negotiation of sex into, like, sexual promiscuity, which is not the problem. That's not the problem. No. You can be sexually promiscuous as much as you want. Um, The problem is that, like, two people who are about to have sex, like, are not able to be honest with each other about what they want, what their expectations are. Um... And men, in particular, are, like, they're using misogynistic language about sex. They have bad interpretations of what's sexy. Um, They have bad models, cultural models about what's sexy. They have bad expectations, and women play into it, too, not to blame them. Like, they're rewarded for it, and it's a real big problem, like, on a cultural scale, 
there are bad ideas about like what sex means that are damaging to women and to relationships. Yeah. And, and also I think a lot of times, you know, I think there's a lot of situations where men withhold information. Fuck boys often withhold information if they think that it will change the outcome. Mm-hmm. As in, a woman will deny sex um, if they give a full information about what their expectations are. So they won't tell a woman, like, I'm really just interested in sex here, and I maybe I will call you back, maybe I won't. They'll entirely withhold that information. And then when, like on the other side of it, there was like a miscommunication about what the arrangement was. Like it's totally okay for the man to withhold information from the woman. I guess what I'm trying to say is like when the woman realizes that what the arrangement was, like wasn't communicated, wasn't what she expected, then there's like an issue. And that's, I don't want to conflate that with consent. Yeah. Because you can consent to something, but you don't know the full terms of it. That's right. It be, but it's, but mm-hmm. it, I think that it does, it, it does interact with consent because it is not transparent. And the problem is, is that in the architecture of dominance that I have already elucidated, it just seems to me that men do, cis-hetero men, white ones in particular, do, they're fragile emotionally. So they can't do the emotional intimacy. And then they don't want to compromise or share power. Okay? So they don't want to make choices. They don't want to have to say no. They don't want to have to make any sacrifices whatsoever. And so they have these two twin parts of the dynamic within themselves. One is about the fragility, which makes them withhold information so that people cannot consent because they don't know what they're consenting to because there's deceit. And then the other side of that is is this um, unwillingness to make decisions or or enter into relationships or to make any sacrifices or compromise at all or share power. And that's what makes it so totally toxic, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is that yes, women are consenting to perhaps some sex acts, but the entire larger conversation about the relationality between the two people is completely occluded by just rampant man-ego trying to control every variable to their advantage. And there's no way that that turns out to be any kind of equitable relationship, sexual or otherwise. It's just straight power. A positive sex, like fulfilling sex life, is more acceptable than it's ever been. And I think women and men both feel empowered to pursue sexual fulfillment. Like, I think people are thinking about sex without thinking about intimacy. You know what I mean? So, like, Yes, yes I do. Because <laughs> we talk about it all the time. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but, no, there's, like, this huge conversation around, like, you know, achieving sexual pleasure. And women are, like... Uh, they care way more about their sexual pleasure than they, they ever have. Um, and they're thinking way more about it. And they're empowered to achieve sexual power more than they ha- have been in the past. I mean, the conversation around sex is uh, way more liberal than it's been in modern history. 
also, like, all of that comes without, like, the emotional backbone to support it. So all of these people are trying to achieve, achieve like, yeah. sexual pleasure. They don't have the resources to do it in, like, an emotionally mature way. Yes, correct. <laughs> and they don't have sex ed. And right. there's no content comprehensive right. sex ed. So there's, it's not only is there a total lack of emotional maturity and vocabulary and negotiation skills and just generosity of spirit or honesty or ethics, mm-hmm. but there's no, like, nuts and bolts sex ed. So, I mean, it's a disaster from the get-go. And then layering on top, you know, internet algorithms and surplus labor, I mean, it makes it a total train wreck. The fuckboy thing is, like, a problem because, not because men want to have sex, it's because they want to exploit other people to have sex. Say it louder for the kids (laughs) in the back. (laughs) You know, it's like... They want to have sex at other people's expense. At their it's expense. All, right. It's all about other people. And that's where it ties into its origins, you know, with prison rape culture. We're talking about, like, you know, we talk about fuckboys as, like, young millennials, like, swiping, constantly swiping on Tinder. But... It's also Don Draper. Yeah, it's also Don Draper. It's also John Kennedy. It's, it's also... Right. And it's also... also Clinton. I mean... I, I mean, we have to talk about the Catholic Church yeah. abusing boys. And, like, obviously it's very secretive and hidden. And, I'm, I mean, I guess there's some aspect of fuckboy culture where we're trying to call out people who are having sex too much. I, not that that's a thing, but having sex at ex- the expense of other people. It or is like, problem, yeah. Yeah, or, like... Not that you even violate consent, but that you just, like, navigate it or uh, <laughs> don't fully appreciate it or understand it. Uh, I mean, but it's not just the Catholic Church. It's Jerry Sandusky and Joe Petrino at Penn State. And it's the Michigan State gymnastics doctor. And it's, I mean, it is institutionalized sexual violence and I think that the most generous read of fuckboy and its circulation as part of dating culture as an insult is trying to describe not just the institutionalization of sex as a as a form of brutalism as a as a hyper Americanized version of masculine power but also that it's boy and not man right is about the infantilization of masculinity and certainly, you know, we're on the other end of the Kavanaugh hearings. That was a complete circus of an adolescent white masculinity that exists in perpetuity, right? So you have the entire culture um, embraces these men, man boys, man children who get a perpetual adolescence into their adulthood. And I'm thinking about every film that Will Ferrell has ever made. And I'm thinking about, you know, a lot of SNL white man humor and about what it means to, to from white men to take for themselves an adolescence that never ends. And that's why I'm saying it's not about sharing power, definitional or social power. They can't do it. They won't do it. So they have tantrums and they have outbursts and they... And, you know, and they stage these absurd emotional events that are entirely about architectures of white male fragility. And that seems to be part of the fuckboy thing. It's like the institutionalization of rape culture, 
where men are both perpetrators and victims of the violence. And then it's also a recognition that that is a very immature and problematic framework for understanding anything, but especially for funneling power. And we're also talking about white men who um, understand sex as a point of connection. You know, like that's their framework for connection. So you're having adult men who like assume that having sex with someone is connecting with them. And then they're lonely. <laughs> they, have, 100%. they don't have like an emotional connection with people. I mean, their entire framework for connection is based around sex. And their entire relationship or understanding of women is sexualized. And that is a shame for them. Yeah. Because women have a lot to offer. And it fucking sucks that they aren't able to see women in a different way I, other than as sexual objects. It is a shame. Lauren Berlant calls it the female complaint, right? That mm -hmm. heterosexual love is the, you know, is um, the problem that keeps on giving, right? That it's like heterosexual love is all about women complaining about how men never provide emotional sustenance back. And that's like a feature, not a bug of compulsory heterosexuality and compulsory monogamy. So there's no getting away from that part of the female complaint when the sexual scripts are so narrow and there is no collaborative effort in imagining a different kind of organization of labor, sexual, social, emotional, or otherwise. So, I mean, yeah, I think it is a shame, but I think it's a feature, it's not a bug. And I think, I mean, the data is so clear as women complain about male partners you know, either long-term partners or sexual partners that men have no emotional vocabulary and they can't show up and they're not loyal and, you know, they're not gal pals. They're not their girlfriends. They don't have the emotional capacity or the tools to build healthy, collaborative relationships. And so, I mean, you know, I don't have any good news here. It's all pretty doomed, as it always has been, especially in the U.S., because it's built on white supremacy and sexual predation and predatory culture and the exploitation of women's bodies and labor. And so it's no surprise to me that it comes out of the prison, that fuckboy as a term comes out of the prison and also reflects other forms of institutionalized rape culture of which men perpetuate and are victimized by. You know what I'm saying? But I think that we have to think about how to reframe the critique because I think you're right. that sex, I hate sex shaming, stupid. Um, but I think we need to find a way to reframe the critique in a way that exposes the toxicity of heterosexuality and of compulsory monogamy and corrects, right, the mm -hmm. problems that fuckboy seeks to weaponize and elucidate or demystify. Yeah, I have no problem with a fuckboy who is honest about what they expect. Totally. Like, I have no problem with a fuckboy that's like, Hey, yeah. Hey, like, fun. yeah, seems like we're, you know, connecting tonight. Um, just to let you know, though, what I'm into right now is just sex. And I, I might call you back and I might not. But right now, I just, you know, sex is what I'm after. Yeah. Uh, and if that's not what 
you expect. If that's not what you want, then let me know. But I mean, you, I mean, you see though how that entire exchange is has a possibility for rejection, and the men cannot handle the fragility involved in being rejected because they never right. really hear no. The big issue is that men withhold information. And that's where a lot of the confusion about consent happens. And that's where a lot of the Me Too stuff happens. Like the Louis C.K. situation yeah. where he masturbated in front of women. I don't know if anyone was directly like, don't do this. Don't do this right now. Like, I don't think any of the women said that. I think they were actively uncomfortable and he actively ignored it. Yeah. But they didn't say no. Correct. And that is a fuzzy situation where he... He's smart enough to do better. And men are smart enough to do better. And men don't fucking ask because they're afraid of rejection. And they withhold information because they think that they'll, like, withholding that information will yield an outcome where they don't get sex. So if you're a fuckboy who is withholding information or, like, <laughs> actively seeking sex at the expense of other people, then... I'm happy to wield that insult on you. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're a fuckboy who, like, is completely honest about what you're doing and uh, doesn't fuck over women, then I, I don't want to wield that insult. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, Transparency is where the, the sharing of power is. And I just, I just think that so much of the dominance over, you know, over sex comes out of the inability of men, especially white men, especially cis hetero white men, to manage their fear of rejection. That's a really shitty reason to exploit other people. It's so weak and, and so ridiculous. And it's it, all about power, though. I mean, yeah. power is entirely based on, uh, like, differences in information. Like, if you have the information, you have power over someone else, okay. you know? I agree. And I... I mean, we see in this cultural moment that white men don't want to give up power, and that applies to their sexual behavior, that applies to their willingness to be intimate with women, to allow women to have power, <laughs> to allow migrants to enter <laughs> the United States I mean, across yeah, the board. The defunding of public education. Sure, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all those things, I think you're right feed into the way in which men micromanage information exclusively to their own benefit. So yeah, I think um, I think for me, fuckboy is a useful term even with its historical connotation, even though it's being used in a very different way. It's operationalized differently mm -hmm. now, because I think it does tell us a lot about the institutionalization of sexual violence as political power. Thanks for listening. These materials are not endorsed, approved, sponsored, or provided by or on behalf of the University of Arkansas Fayetteville.